Um, so he's, he has a great message for today, so, uh, so let's pray. Father, thank you for Dan. Thank you for, um, uh, for, for the teaching that we have for today. And I just ask that you, uh, you would just speak through and, and, and allow uh, the, the words and, and the heart to, uh, uh, to, to come together as we, as we uh, are seeking your, your face and, and, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You said it was a great sermon. Oh, boy, you don't even know what it is yet. What if it's like complete heresy? Um, Well, listen, we're in this series uh, called Jesus' Stories, and we're just looking at some of the parables of Jesus. Jesus told stories uh, just like we tell stories today. I mean, we've been telling stories since the beginning of time. It's one of our main communication main communications that we use. I mean, we've been doing it on cave walls and on stone tablets, and now we're doing it on computers, on whatever the kids are using these days. Um, <clears throat> so we're just going to jump right into this story. It's, uh, it's in Luke 15. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can open them. If you've got your iPhone or a phone, whatever, you can look it up there. Um, I'll also have it up on the screen. And let's get into it. So Jesus... Uh, so the tax, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. Oh no, even eating with them. Whoa, eating with sinners. Uh, so Jesus told them this story. So right there, we've got to stop. We've got to cover a couple of things like who are the Pharisees? Who are these teachers of the law that are complaining or grumbling. There's one translation I read uh, that says grumbling about Jesus um, hanging out with sinners. And so these Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're like the modern-day pastors. They're like the religious people that are are leading um, people in religion. Um, And so uh, they were the theologians. They were the ones studying the scriptures. They were moral people. They were uh, the people that Uh, the community revered and looked up to when it came to religion. They had, they they followed all these rules and they did it really well for the most part. Um, Like they had one wife, they gave 10% of their income to the temple. Uh, They went to church every Sunday, well probably Saturday because they're Jewish. Uh, They sometimes even went midweek, they worshipped one God, they didn't swear, they prayed and read scripture every day. They didn't eat fruit off of trees that were under four years old, and then when they were four years old, they would only eat that fruit in Jerusalem, and then after five years, then they could eat it anywhere they wanted. Did you guys not know about that rule? (laughs) It's in there. It's in the Bible. You better be following it. Just kidding. New covenant. We don't have to follow that rule. But that's the kind of things that they did. They followed all these little rules to show how holy and good people they were. So they, the Pharisees who Jesus is talking to, they were moral people. And they ask Jesus, well, they don't really ask him. They're just kind of like, why is he hanging out with sinners? And they're not like, oh, Jesus, why are you hanging out with sinners? Tell us. They're like, oh, Jesus, hanging out with sinners. It's like, like when you're at a restaurant and you've got, you're low on whatever liquid you're drinking and you kind of make that loud slurping sound and hope that the waitress hears you. <laughs> she doesn't. And then you put it at the edge of the table. Maybe she'll see it. She doesn't see it. Then you finally just get fed up, and you're like, boy, I wish I had something to drink here. It wasn't really a question, a kind question. It was just like a complaint, you know, that Jesus heard, and so he's responding to it. And then we kind of already know where these Pharisees' hearts are, because they're just like, why is he hanging out with sinners? Can you imagine if I went to Jeremy, and I was like, hey, Jeremy, 
can I preach to the sinners this weekend? You know, like, you, you already know where my heart is in that. You would already know where, my, where, I'm, where I'm going with that. And so we already kind of see uh, the Pharisees' hearts. They've got it all together, it seems like, but their hearts, maybe not so much. So we're going to look at it. So Jesus goes in to these three stories. And the first one, you've probably heard all three of these stories, but maybe you haven't heard them together. So I want to bring them all together. Jesus tells three stories right in, the, right in a row, and they all coincide with each other. And so we start with the lost sheep. Uh, a shepherd loses a sheep. The sheep, he gets lost, and the shepherd's like, oh no, my sheep's lost, so he's got to go find it. And he searches, and he searches, and he searches. He's searching like everywhere a sheep might hide or want to take a nap, and he can't find it. And then finally, he finds the sheep, and he's just like, yes, found my sheep. Puts it over his shoulders, uh, runs home, and is like, yes, I found my sheep. And instead of just celebrating by himself, he calls up his neighbors, he calls up his friends, and they have a celebration. He has a party for this little sheep, which we've heard this story so many times. It's like, yeah, he had a party. But that's kind of weird, isn't it? Like, if you just lost your, lost your dog, maybe you could have a party. That's good. But if you had a hundred dogs... And you lost one of them, and then you brought them back. Would you really have a party? So he has a party. So sheep is lost. Sheep is searched for. Sheep is found. They have a party. Then Jesus tells us next story of a woman who had ten coins. She's got ten coins. She loses one. And so she searches for it, and she searches for it. She pulls out the junk drawer in the kitchen and just, like, dumps it on the countertop and looks for the coin. It's not in there. She tears apart her house. She rips off the cushions of her couch and finally, in the deepest corner of her couch, she finds this coin. I made that part up. That's not really in the Bible, but we can pretend. Um, so she finds this coin, and she celebrates. So she calls her friends, she calls her neighbors, and they have a party. They celebrate this coin that she found. So the coin is lost. The coin is searched for. Uh, the coin is found. They have a party. Woohoo! Um, and then Jesus goes on to this next story, and... Um, when we read the Bible, whatever you're reading, you've, you've got to read the context of what's happening. Um, otherwise, you might miss a huge point that someone's trying to make. Like uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Great verse, love that verse. But Paul is talking about like the persecution that he's gone through. Like he's been shipwrecked, he's been starved, he's been whipped and tortured. Um, he's been put in jail wrongly. And he says, I can do all of those things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm sorry, but Christ doesn't strengthen you to get the high score on Candy Crush. That's not what it's, what it's talking about here. So we can kind of misinterpret things. So we want to make sure that we understand um, what's going on in these stories. So we've got to look at who Jesus is talking to. And he's talking to the Pharisees. So we've got three characters in this next story. We've got a father, an older son, and a younger son. And the younger son, he comes to the father, and he says, Father, I want all of your inheritance. You guys know this story? In your Bibles, it's marked as the prodigal son. But the first two stories, um, the first story is called the lost sheep. The second story is called the lost coin. So I would love to rename this story the lost sons, because I think it just coincides with the three stories that Jesus is telling to the Pharisees. And so his, his son comes to him and he says, he says, Dad, I want all my inheritance right now. I don't want to wait. So right now, the, the listeners of this story are absolutely shocked that someone would even ask that. It's just, it's unbelievable even. 
In fact, it's probably more believable, if you want to tell this story, for a son just to kill his dad and pretend it was an accident and then take his inheritance that way. That's more of a believable story. Because in this culture, when you look at it in this societal context, it just doesn't make sense for that to happen. I mean, he's wishing his dad was dead, and he might as well have just killed him. And, and then you don't have to deal with all the shame, that the, the public shame. I'm sure you'll have inner shame, but the shame from the community, you wouldn't have to deal with all that stuff. So it's just such a shameful thing to do. And not only that, the father is shamed by that because his son who he raised is asking him such an absurd question. So the listeners are kind of shocked right there and then. So then the next thing that happens is that the father says, yes, here's, here's your inheritance. So there's a second shock right here. The listeners are like, what in the world? You know what should happen to this kid? He's probably, I don't know, he's probably 20 or something. He should get slapped upside the head, kicked out of the house. The father should say, absolutely not. You may not have the inheritance right now. Get out of my house. I never want to see you again. No inheritance for you ever. That's what should happen. That's what was expected. I thought when I was preparing this, I was like, what would happen if I honestly asked my dad for my portion of the inheritance this week? I didn't call him because that would be so weird, right? Uh, he would know what I'm up to. Uh, he knows the story too well. But I was thinking, and we would probably, he would probably, he would say, no, absolutely not. Uh, that was really rude. Please don't do that again. But I would still go to his house for like Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff, right? We would still be friends in our society. This society, it shouldn't have happened. He shouldn't have said yes. He should have just kicked him out of the house, never talked to him again. It was that shameful. And so before this kid even leaves the house, he's completely shamed his family and shamed his dad. But then he does leave the house. He sells, his father gives him property and sheep and goats and whatever, and he sells all that, and he runs to a faraway land. And he parties it up. He has a great time in Vegas, and he spends tons of money, and uh, he's got tons of friends. He's, he's buying his friends whatever they want in whatever hotel rooms and whatever cool rental cars they can find. Maybe he's buying Ferraris and stuff. He's having a great time. But then, of course, he runs out of money. And on top of that, not only does he run out of money, but a famine hits. So there's like no work anywhere. He can't find any way to get money. So now he's alone. His superficial friends are completely gone. They're not around anymore because he, he doesn't have any money left. And because of the famine, he finds himself feeding pigs, a job that as a Jewish person, he's not even supposed to be doing. It's Pigs are unclean. He's not even supposed to be around them, let alone feeding them. And he finds himself thinking, oh, man, this pig food looks so good. And that's where he realizes he's got a problem. And he says, my, my dad, his servants eat better than this. They live better than I do. So I've, I've wronged my dad. I know I have. My only hope to live right now is to go home, ask for forgiveness, and maybe he'll just let me be one of his servants. He says, uh, he works out this apology. He says, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't, I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. So that's what he's planning to say to his dad. And now the people who are listening to this story, the Pharisees, they're like, aha, Jesus, I see where you're going now. This is going to be a good story. That son's going to go crawling back to his dad, and then he's going to get what he deserves. He's going to be made a public mockery in front of the whole town. Dad's going to say, absolutely not. Get out of here. Guy's going to starve to death, and the dad comes out on top. Ultimate revenge story. That's probably where they think this story's going. 
And now remember this, this kid, he's in a faraway land. Um, he's got a long walk back to his house. And so I imagine, this is me, Jesus didn't say this, but I imagine he's like kicking around this apology in his head, rewriting it in his head, coming up with the perfect thing to say, practicing it out loud. Have you guys ever had to do that? Oh, good, I'm not alone. <laughs> Let me tell you my story about it. Uh, everybody was so willing to say yes. Um, my story, a couple years ago, I just straight up lied to a customer. And so, of course, later I had to apologize to the customer. Um, but the bigger thing for me was apologizing to my boss about it. Um, and so that was going to be really hard for me to do. So I wrote out this apology. I edited it probably a hundred times, and I practiced it out loud, and I finally got it down just how I wanted it. And so I went to his office, and he didn't know what had happened, and so I just laid it out on the table and let him know everything, and I apologized. And he was, he was a cool guy, and so he said, you know what, I, I forgive you. It's, it's not a big deal. I'm glad you told me. Um, be on your way. And that was it. You know, he didn't write me a bonus check in that moment. He wasn't like, oh, sweet, bonus check for you, Dan. And he didn't toss me the keys to the company car. You know, nothing like that happened. But that's what happens in this story. And so it's, it's our third huge shock that happens in this story. So let me just read this part. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out. He embraced him and kissed him. And the son started his speech, his apology. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. He doesn't even get through the whole apology before we move on to the father wasn't listening. He quickly called his servants and said, bring a clean set of clothes to dress him in. Put the family ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Get the grain-fed heifer, the fattest cow we have, and let's roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son here was given up for dead, but now he's alive. He, he was lost, and we found him. And they began to have a wonderful time. I added some of my own words in there in case you didn't notice. That wasn't purely the Bible. Um, but that, that ring is a huge thing in this story. That ring that the father put on his, on his finger is one of the biggest things that we have in this story to tell us that the son has been reinstated as a child. Like that ring, there's only one in the whole family and only the patriarch has it. And if you have that ring, you're, you're able, you're pretty much the father, the patriarch. You can conduct business on your father's behalf. Everybody sees you as the father. So that ring is, is, it doesn't mean anything to us. It's like, oh, cool, he got a ring. That's cool. But to that culture, it is huge. It means, it means everything to them. Um, and so he's reinstated as the son. It's a sign of love. It's a sign of acceptance. And then not only that, he tells his servants to throw a party. Not only is he embraced and forgiven, he gets a party out of this. And this is the prelude to the main theme that Jesus gives us in this story. That God's love for us is limitless. God's love for us is limitless. And so his forgiveness is completely unbridled. There's no restraining God's forgiveness for us. If you are the son, the, the son that's turned your back on God, done life your own way, knew that you were doing wrong, you were just, you were parting it up, um, living life your own way. God the Father, he, he's looking for you over that ridge. Like that father was out in his fields doing whatever, 
And how many times had that father daydreamed about his son coming home? How many times had he thought about, oh man, is my son okay in this famine? Is he, is he doing all right? I just wish he would come home. And then he sees his silhouette on the ridge and he sprints towards him. He runs towards him and, and gives him a huge hug. And this is the father's love for you. I, I know you get it. I know you understand this, but, but I've got to repeat it. The father in this story is God. And do you see any judgment from this father? Do you see any retribution from this father? Is there any anger from this father? There's none. There's, there's only joy when the son returns home. There's no judgment. There's no anger towards him. He's just so happy that his son has come home that he gives him a huge hug. His love for you is so great and so beyond measuring that his forgiveness is unbridled, it's unchecked, and it even seems reckless. Can you imagine being one of the neighbors in this story, one of the neighbors of the father and seeing all this happen? I mean, you find out that the son asked for the inheritance and that's like, ooh, did you hear what that guy's son did? And then the dad actually gives it to him and you're like, whoa, now you're just the laughing stock of the town that you're the father that gave your son his inheritance before you die. That's just ridiculous. And then the son comes home, and those neighbors see this happening. You see, I love this, this uh, painting. If you see back in the corner, there's like those two people peeking around the corner like, oh my gosh, he's forgiving that son? That makes no sense. It seems reckless to do that. It seems irresponsible to do that to a son who's, who's trampled your good name. This is the part where we got to remember who Jesus is talking to again. Um, he's talking to the Pharisees. Um, and when we understand this story from their point of view, then we can understand Jesus' main point. But first, let me tell you about this story of this family who had a dream house. They had a dream house that they wanted. Um, they had an idea of what they wanted in their head, and so they just saved and saved. For years and years and years, they saved all that they had. They picked up extra shifts at work when they could, and they finally got enough money for this down payment on a house. This is a true story, by the way. And so they got a house. It was on a nice, quiet cul-de-sac. It was on a lake. That's what they wanted the most is a lake, a nice, quiet, clear water lake where the, the waves kind of just like lap up over the sides. There's nothing big, you know. So it's a very peaceful, beautiful house, and they sign the papers on a Friday. They move in on a Saturday, and they tuck their kids in bed, and they're sitting on their deck right there just enjoying the peacefulness. And then all of a sudden, from across the lake, huge booming music starts playing. They hear this guy on a PA system just like mumbled and garbled coming across the lake, incredibly annoying. The kids get up. They're like, Mom, Dad, what's going on? They're like, oh, we don't know. Go back to bed. And so kids won't go back to bed. You guys know how that is if you're a parent. And uh, finally at like 10 p.m., they get the kids to bed. And it's, uh, it's all, right, all right, kids are in bed. That's great. And then fireworks start going off. And there's booming fireworks. Kids get out of bed. No one gets any sleep that night. And they're thinking, oh, no. Have we gotten this house on a party lake? Like, are people going to be partying like this all the time? This is awful. And so they get up the next morning and they go and they talk to their neighbors and they find out it's just a once-a-year event. They could breathe easy. They can do it for once a year because there's a yacht club across the lake and they were celebrating this, the end of a big race that they had. 
And so they had this huge party for all the people that were involved in this race. Um, and so this family, they, they, were in, they, they were intruded upon. Like their peace was intruded upon because they didn't understand what was happening across the lake. They didn't get what the party was about. But I imagine if the family moved to that lake because they loved sailing and they wanted to be across the, the way from that yacht club, I bet they would be at that party. They would completely understand the party and think it's awesome and wonderful. And I'm sure we've all been in some sort of scenario where someone's celebration in our lives, whether it's a neighbor or a party at a park or something, was annoying to us because we weren't a part of the celebration. We didn't understand the celebration. And that's what's happening here as Jesus continues his story to the religious leaders. So now, this last part of the story, the story that we don't often talk about, but is the main point for Jesus, the mic drop moment for Jesus, we continue into. So the son, um, the older son, who's been with the father this whole time, he's working off in a field a couple fields away, and he, he's starting to come home, and he's walking up to the house, and from a long way off, he sees, oh man, is my dad having a party? That is so cool. Like, he sees dancing up there. He, he hears music. He, he sees servants carrying steaks as big as his head. And he's like, yeah, party, awesome. And he asks one of, the, one of the servants, hey, what's this party about? This is great. And the servant says, your brother's returned home. We, we thought he was lost. We thought he was dead, but now he's home. And the son is indignant. The older son is so mad. He's like, how, what? So dad comes out of the party and he he pleads with his son to come in and celebrate. Like this word uh, that, that the Bible uses um, is one of those words, it's like a strong begging. Some translates, some scriptures translate it uh, like beseech, if you've got an older translation. Some say begging. This one says entreat. And entreat is like this strong ass. This like I see him like the father bending his knees like, please, son, come on, come to the party. You've got to come in. And the son sees his father and he says, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You've had a party for him. That's not fair. And the father looks at his son and he says, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But it's so fitting for me to celebrate. What, I, thought, I thought your brother was dead, and now he's alive. Won't you come in and celebrate? And the son looks at his dad and says, Dad, uh, he says, what's he say? Oh, that's right, we don't know what he says. It, the story just drops off. Jesus ends the story right there. Story over. Jesus just leaves it for us to like, like Jesus, the, where, where's the end of the story here? Jesus doesn't tell us an ending here, but he does give us an invitation to live the ending. You see, the older, son, the older son's heart here is so far from the father's. It's in a faraway land, just like the younger son was. Sure, he's been a good kid. He claims to have done everything that the father's asked him. But his heart is so distant from the father's. 
And this, this is where I relate to the older son. I am the older son in this story, 100%. The son who stayed home, the son who's done moral things, does all the right things, done everything that the father's asked of me. I've done it. Like, this is me. I know some of you are the younger son. I've heard your stories, and they're beautiful stories. For me, my heart is just as distant as yours once was. But I've been next to the Father. I've done the moral things. I'm just like the Pharisees. I give 10% of my income to the church. I go to church every Sunday, and then actually I go to church like six times a day, but, um, you know, because I work here. Um, You know, I I don't cheat on my wife. I don't even swear hardly. I've done all the right things. But in this story, the, the father is saying to the son, that doesn't matter to me right now. That doesn't matter. I want your heart. There's a song that I've been listening to uh, from Hillsong United. They just came out with a new album last week, or maybe two weeks ago. Anyway, go check it out. Um, but the first song on that album has these lyrics in it. It says, He's not moved by perfection or how well we look the part, but he's wild about the hidden stuff. He's wild about the heart. So come now. And this is an invitation just like the Father gives us an invitation. It, the invitation is not for the celebration. The invitation is for a heart change. And that's what Jesus offers me. As a hard-hearted, like, I'll just do all these moral things because it comes easy to me, but I'm not going to share your heart for what you love. He, he offers us this invitation to share his heart. So here we are on the steps of the house right outside this party. And there's a celebration going on and and we're asked, do you want heart renewal? Do you want change? Do you want to share the Father's heart? The Father is inviting us church people. If If you're like me, he's inviting you to lay down your religion. Leave your morality at the door and join his kingdom. Join his passion for the lost and their return home. Join the kingdom feasts of celebration for reconciliation and restoration of his sons and daughters who he so dearly loves. And for me, I found myself this week confessing that, like I'm doing these moral things, but Jesus is talking directly to me, and it, he wants my heart. He wants my heart to be his heart. He wants my heart to share uh, what he shares, to love what he loves. Do you remember the story of the coin and the sheep? There are four things that happened that the thing was lost, the thing was searched for, the thing was found, and they celebrated. Uh, lost, search, found, party time. And the, the thing that's missing in this story, do you see it? Do you see what's missing in this story? There's something that's lost, and there's something that's found, and there's a celebration, but there's no searching going on in this last story. And I don't know, I wasn't there to ask Jesus follow-up questions if that's what he was thinking. But I'm still going to share it because I think it's a biblical truth that Jesus um, would love for us to be that, that older brother that goes out and searches for the lost. 
Like, can you imagine that, that, that father, if his son, if his older son went out and checked on the younger son, even if the younger son wasn't ready to come home, if the older son shared the father's heart and said, brother, we love you, we want you to come home, your father and I, we, we forgive you, we just want you to come home, and even if the son says no, you can still give him some shoes and give him some food to eat, for goodness sake, and you imagine the father's heart and how he would have exploded with joy. His heart would have, would have been just on fire for his kids. So Jesus gives us this invitation to live out the end of the story. Jesus says to the Pharisees, Jesus says to me, here's my heart. Here's an invitation to share my heart, to love what I love, to celebrate what I celebrate, to be passionate about what I am passionate about. And we get to decide how this story ends. This is the point when I would normally uh, do practical tips, you know, um, like we put practical tips and you follow these three things and as a religious, moral person, I'm like, good, did the three things, that's great. So I'm not going to give you that today. Um, I, I just want, if, if the Holy Spirit, if you feel something tugging on your heart, like, yes, I know I'm the younger son, I've run far from God, or uh, you feel that tug on your heart that says, yes, I feel God giving me this invitation to share his heart. That's the only practical tip there is today, is to respond to that pull on your heart and just say, say, Jesus, I'm sorry for running away from you. Whether you're the son that stayed home or the son that ran away, you've run away from God's heart. And I want your heart. I want your heart. I want to love the things that you love. It starts with a prayer of humility. It's that simple. There's nothing more to it. It's an apology and an ask for God's forgiveness and an ask for his heart. And of course, if you're the younger son and you come home and, and you say, Jesus, I want you, he wraps his arms around you and he takes off his ring off of his own finger and puts it on your finger and calls you a son of the living God. And I think if you're the son who's, been, who's, who's right outside the party and is asked to come in, and you say, okay, Dad, I'm ready to come in. I want to share your heart. I think he does the exact same thing. He wraps his arms around you, takes off his ring and puts it on your finger. And he says, welcome home. You share my heart. I love you. You are my son. You get the exact same party. Both sons are lost here. Both sons have turned their backs on the father. Both sons have trampled God's heart. But listen, both sons are loved and they're offered radical, unbridled, boundless, and even reckless-seeming forgiveness. And this is the God that invites us into his kingdom. We're going to move into our time of prayer. Right? Or our, uh, we're going to sing one more song and we're going to have uh, people that are willing to pray for you, pray with you. Um, and we'll have a, a prayer team up here. We'll have a prayer team back by the cross. And if you, if you want to pray something like that, whether you've been a Christ follower for, for all of your life or you've been running away from God or, or maybe some sort of mix in between, we would love to pray with you. We, just, we, we would love to see, uh, Jesus would love to see your heart run towards him. 
And then also, if there's anything going on in your life at all, anything, maybe you stubbed your toe this morning and it still hurts, we can pray for that. I believe that God cares about the little things. He cares about the big things, and we want to pray for them. So you stand with us, and we'll sing this uh, one last song. And also, we've got communion uh, here under each projector, and then we've got a communion station in the back. And you can take communion as we sing this last song. And um, if you feel God pulling on your heart, maybe communion's that first step that says, okay, God, I trust you, I believe in you. Come take communion. So let's sing. <laughs>